Good morning, Amaya Wimala. Whoops. And don't know if my sound is good. Okay. Let me make it a little louder in case you don't have good sound. Hi, I'm Aya Wimala, and I'm in Tennessee. This is my last day here. And when I finish talking to you, I'm uh, loading up and going to visit my mom, and from there I'll be headed back home. So, it's been hot, and I'm inside because it's just so hot outside, it's really, uh, it's not, it's not, it's it's not the best that aren't the best conditions for recording. So I'll be reading, and we're reading. Remember from *A Pilgrim's Companion*, edited by Canon Visaka Kawasaki. Readings from Buddhist texts to enhance a pilgrimage to the sacred sites. And this is what I'm reading from. And uh, the Kawasakis have given me, given me their blessings to, to share this with you. They love to have the book shared. So this is, it, I feel very privileged to be sharing it with you. So this is day two. We started yesterday. So this is day two of our pilgrimage. And there are 35 days. And it starts in Lumbini, where Buddha was born. So... The readings don't have any particular uh, meaning to Lumbini or the Buddha's birth, but they are definitely uh, connected. If we were sitting at the site and at other areas there, there would be other stories, historical stories, and they would, uh, they would line up. So the reading for today, and then we'll do, we'll meditate together. And today the reflection is on the Brock, Brahma Vihara, and so that will be our meditation as well. I'll read it, and we can. That's that's perfect for a meditation beginning. So this one is day two, and imagine you're somewhere in Lumbini, sitting on a rock, and there's a nice breeze, and someone is telling you the story of the history of the area. And this was a location, you know, that was between the home of the, the Buddha and when his wife was going back to her parents' home to have their child, uh, she, she had him on the way. He decided to make his appearance. And it's, it's beautiful to read about that. So this is day two. And this reading, and I'm not reading about that story, but you can imagine yourself sitting on a pilgrimage somewhere in Lumbini. The reading is called The Most Beautiful Girl of the Land, and it's from Samyutta Nikaya 4720. The Buddha said, suppose that on hearing the most beautiful girl of the land, a great crowd of people were to assemble. Then that most beautiful girl would dance and sing exquisitely, on hearing, the most beautiful girl of the land is dancing and singing. An even larger crowd of people would assemble. Then suppose that a man, loving life and not wishing to die, 
were to come along. Now suppose that someone gave him a bowl filled to the brim with oil and said, My good man, you must carry this bowl of oil through the crowd in front of the most beautiful girl in the land. Right behind you, a man with a drawn sword will be following. If you spill even a single drop of oil, he will immediately cut off your head. Would that man be negligent of that bowl of oil and turn his attention elsewhere? No, venerable sir. Here is the meaning of this simile. The bowl filled to the brim with oil is a designation for mindfulness of the body. Therefore, you should train yourselves thus. We will develop and cultivate mindfulness of the body, make it our basis, and fully perfect it. Thus you should train yourselves. So mindfulness of the body, no matter what is alluring and beautiful in front of you, you need to <laughs> imagine that guard coming behind you with this big sword. So the reflection for today is from this, the Vasudhimaga 318, and it's on the Brahma Vihadas. And those are the supreme abidings. Uh, and a lot of us, we have talked about these before. They may be new to a lot of you, but these are beautiful. So these are the four supreme abodings. And these are for our, for our mind, the supreme qualities we want to have our mind be filled with. Metta. So the four are metta, karuna, mudita, and upekka. And the definitions are in the very first word of each uh, piece of writing. Metta. Loving kindness is characterized as promoting the welfare of others. Its function is to desire welfare. It is manifested as, as the removal of annoyance. Its proximate cause is seeing the lovableness in beings. It succeeds when it makes ill will subside, and it fails when it gives rise to selfish affection. So loving kindness is metta, and this is a, a different definition from what we often hear. I love, uh, it is manifested as the removal of annoyance. That resonates with me. Okay, the second is karuna. Compassion is characterized as promoting the removal of others' suffering. Its function is not enduring the suffering of others. It is manifested as kindness. Its proximate cause is seeing helplessness in others of those overwhelmed by suffering. It succeeds when it makes cruelty subside and it fails to give rise to sorrow. That's karuna is compassion, kindness. Uh, it fails when it gives rise to sorrow. 
So sadness and sorrow uh, is not a, a good way to act out compassion because it does no help for anyone. There's no kindness in that. Help. It succeeds only when it makes cruelty subside. I like these, uh, I like these reflections very much. And mudita, sympathetic joy, is characterized as joy in the success of others. Its function is being free from envy. It is manifested as the elimination of aversion. Its proximate cause is seeing other beings' success. It succeeds when it makes aversion subside, and it fails when it gives rise to merriment. Sympathetic joy, mudita. Upeka. Equanimity is characterized as promoting equipoise towards beings. Its function is to see the equality in beings. It is manifested as quieting. Uh, I'm sorry, let me read that again. I left off the most important part. It is manifested as quieting, liking, and disliking. Its proximate cause is seeing the ownerships of the ownership of deeds. Thus, beings are heir to their deeds. Whose, if not theirs, is the choice by which they will become happy, or will be free from suffering, or will not fall away from the success they have reached? It succeeds when it makes liking and disliking subside, and it fails when it gives rise to the indifference of mundane ignorance. So this is that complete uh, equanimity is sometimes hard to understand. It often often makes us think of uh, indifference, but it fails when it gives rise to the indifference of mundane ignorance. It isn't indifferent. It isn't indifference. Its cause is seeing the ownerships of deeds. Thus, being beings are heirs to their deeds. Whose, if not theirs, is the choice by which they will become happy, or will be free from suffering, or will not fall away from the success they have reached. Its function is to see the equality in beings. It is manifested as quieting, liking, and disliking. So this, these are, this reflection, these are from the Visuddhimagga 318. And that the Visuddhimagga, those are the, uh, that's the, one of the major commentaries on the suttas. So, Let's uh, sit together and hopefully some of the the story with the bowl of oil being carried very, very carefully in front of the most beautiful girl of the land, singing and dancing. (laughs) And these beautiful 
uh, the Brahma Vihadas, and we can meditate in, on any of these. They can all be objects for us. And the one thing we also know about these the sublime abidings, these are qualities that we can send out infinitely out beyond us. So we can develop the quality within ourselves the way we do metta, and then and then radiate it out into that infinite space. So let's sit and I'll let you we'll do this today just being watchful, mindful, attentive, and being aware of our breath. So find your posture. Let it make you let it be comforting for you, comfortable. And uh, remember, it's not going to be totally comfortable because it's we're sitting still and the body will begin to have its little aches and pains or may become restless. So let it be uh, comfortable enough where you're not in pain and you're okay in the posture. It's important, I think, to lift up your spine, even if you're on the floor. Just feel, feel that you're adding space into your, in between each one of your vertebra, and you're adding space, lifting your lungs, giving them room to breathe, If you can, just close your eyes or leave them kind of at half-mast. We're working with our, our senses. Our senses are always taking in that data. Your skin may feel cool. There may be a breeze on you right now. You may be hot and feeling that. So our body contact is always, always there. Even the feeling of our body, our feet on the floor, our bottom on a seat or a cushion. We can hear sounds. When our eyes are open, we're, of course, filled with we're filled with the vision. We can smell, we taste. That's how we interact with the world. All, everything is coming to us through the sense doors. Into the, each one has a sense consciousness. And we think of our brain, our, our mind, as part of our senses in the Buddhist teachings. So that's our sixth sense. And then our mind is 
processing what's coming in through the sense doors. So being attentive, being in our body, is how we connect with the world. We want to be open to everything coming into us and not judging it or criticizing it, being, being aware of it, being awake to it. So think of our mindfulness is like that servant carrying that full bowl of oil with someone standing behind him threatening to cut his head off if he spills the oil. Just a reminder how important it is to be awake and aware Now be aware of the body breathing. It's good when we practice to have a point that we're observing, either our belly or around our nostrils, to just be aware of the breath. Feel your body relax. Tell yourself with each exhale, relax or let go. Let your palms relax in your lap, palms up or palms down.
And let's practice uh, metta for a few minutes a little differently than we usually do. Because I'd like to use the words here in the from the Visuddhimagga. And I want you just to reflect on these words. Loving kindness is characterized as promoting the welfare of others. Its function is to desire welfare. It is manifested as the removal of annoyance. Its proximate cause is seeing the lovableness in others, in all beings. It succeeds when it makes ill will subside and it fails when it gives rise to selfish affection. So just have curiosity about this words, these words for metta. Think about what is selfish affection. When metta fails, metta fails when it gives rise to selfish affection. Just think about that. What does that mean for you? So welfare would be well-being. Its function is to desire well-being for ourselves and others. It is manifested as the removal of annoyance. Its near cause is seeing the lovableness in all beings. It succeeds when it makes ill will subside and it fails when it gives rise to selfish affection. So we can send well-being to ourselves. And then we can follow the same steps in moving out to our loved ones and then out further to strangers. And gradually end up sending it out as goodwill and well-being to all of this world and beyond.
And I think the words, just in the section on metta, and I hope you're still sitting and just pondering or investigating this definition of metta. So when we talk about carrying metta and practicing metta all day in everything we do in our daily life, desiring welfare, desiring well-being for ourselves and for others, it manifests as the removal of annoyance. So moving through the day, not becoming annoyed, That's a huge that's a huge one. Nothing nothing, no one annoying us. It's all that all comes from within. Seeing the lovableness in all beings. making ill will subside. And it is not selfish. So may our practice of metta today just be spending the day seeing how we can find these qualities within us as we move through our day. They're all qualities that are connected with metta. And may everything we do whatever we think or say or do, be done not only for our own benefit, but just like the metta practice. May everything be done for the benefit of all other living.